Okay, this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Text is there in the bulletin. Uh, Jesus, we're talking about Jesus all the time. Uh, he's unique uh, because he is God. And uh, no other human being can lay claim to that. He's God, come in the flesh. He's fully God and fully man. Not just part God, part man, or any kind of mixture. Uh, he's fully God and fully man, two natures in one person. So he's unique. And this uh, uniqueness uh, about Christ is uh, revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures, right? the Old Testament, uh, revealed before Jesus' earthly life. And this uh, uniqueness of Christ in his full divinity and full humanity, this was discovered by people who got to know Jesus. Because, of course, uh, everyone... Uh, saw him as a human being, because there he was, you know, having been born and raised by Mary, he's walking and talking and doing all kinds of normal human being things. Uh, but as people got to know this human being, as they heard the things that he said and saw the things that he did, they began to realize that he did things that were not entirely normal for human beings <laughs> to do. Uh, they began to realize that he was more than merely a man. That's not to say that he's like superhuman, uh, just, you know, like a human being uh, with supernatural powers or something. But people heard him say things and saw him do things that revealed, in fact, that this human being was also God. The human creature was also the divine creator in this person, Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> this is vitally important to us if we're interested in you know, actually knowing God as he truly is and actually having a relationship with him. Jesus makes God known to us because he's God. And one of the most fantastic things that he reveals to us is that he's a forgiving God. That's what our passage this morning uh, communicates to us. He is a forgiving God. So let's talk about that. Let me pray, then, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. <clears throat> this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so Jesus and his followers uh, just gotten back from their field trip to Nightmare Land, where Jesus uh, experienced the first really significant rejection by other people, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, right? They're among the Gentiles and the thing with the herd of pigs and the townsfolk ask him to leave, so he leaves. He gets in a boat, crosses, crosses over, now he's home in his own city in Capernaum, where he had just been, really. And he had been previously uh, helping a lot of people and healing a lot of people. So Mark and Luke uh, both tell us that this particular event happens inside a house 
that is so crowded full of people who are listening to Jesus' teaching that the friends of this paralyzed man who are trying to get him in to see Jesus, they can't get him inside through any of the normal means of accessing the inside of a house, and so they tear a hole in the roof and they lower him down through it. And so this man and his friends are trying really hard to get him to Jesus, and they don't really care about anything, like how this looks, uh, you know. They're not self-conscious about uh, their, their desperate need to get this guy to Jesus. And Jesus recognizes what they're doing as an act of faith, right? So it says when Jesus saw their faith, he saw it because here these men are bringing this paralytic to him. <clears throat> when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So this statement makes us scratch our heads and we wonder if maybe we missed something. Uh, so Jesus is known for healing people. This paralytic obviously needs healing. That's why his friends brought him here. Why does Jesus tell him his sins are forgiven? What is that? Where, where's the connection? Is there a connection? Uh, so we're not told that the paralytic felt his guilt. We're not uh, told that he felt his need for forgiveness. Uh, he doesn't say anything, really. We're not given any reason to think that he might hope for Jesus to forgive him. That would be a strange thing to see uh, anybody asking Jesus for um, God's forgiveness at this point. This whole forgiveness thing really seems new. At least uh, Matthew hasn't yet recorded this kind of thing as part of Jesus' ministry, talking about the forgiveness of sins. He hasn't been going around telling people, your sins are forgiven. It's the first time this happens. So Matthew doesn't say why the paralytic wanted to be brought to Jesus. We assume it was in order to get healed from his paralysis. So when Jesus says... With this compassion, with this familiarity, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. It sounds kind of like a non sequitur, like a break. Change of subject doesn't follow. Uh, probably a surprise to the paralytic who came to Jesus for healing to hear Jesus talk about forgiveness of sins. I would venture to say that this paralytic probably hadn't considered the possibility of hearing Jesus saying this to him. He probably hadn't realized that forgiveness was an option, maybe not even a need. He just knew that his life was miserable and he knew he had to come before Jesus because Jesus could make things right. And that's faith. That's faith. Faith doesn't have everything about Jesus figured out in advance. Faith doesn't say, I know exactly who Jesus is and I know exactly what I need from him and I know, I know what I can get from him. Faith doesn't say all those things. Faith doesn't know exactly what to expect from Jesus. Faith very basically knows a need for Jesus. Very basically, a need for Jesus. Faith comes to Jesus to learn more about Jesus, to learn it from Jesus, discovering more and more wonderful things about Jesus along the way. Faith grows, right? Faith is often surprised by the goodness of Jesus, that he doesn't meet our expectations. And it was definitely a surprise to hear Jesus talk about forgiveness in this way, in this context. Uh, it was especially a surprise to the scribes who were there, right? The biblical experts, the scribes, they're, they're the ones who know how the scriptures talk about forgiveness. And what Jesus says here bursts their categories. So it says in verse 3, some of the scribes said to themselves, this is their, their thinking in their own hearts and minds, right? They're thinking to, they said to themselves, this man's blaspheming, right? So to a Jew at that time, blasphemy is a really big deal. You can read about it in Leviticus 24. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. It's a serious offense. Uh, so <clears throat> the scribes don't say this out loud, but they get, they get hung up on this in their hearts. 
and in their minds. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they think that he's sinning, they think he's blaspheming, because he's saying something that only God has the right to say. Uh, that's clear, uh, that's made explicit in Mark and Luke when they record that the scribes asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? This man's blaspheming because he's saying something that only God has the right to say. They're partly right. Only God can forgive sins. Right? That's, that's absolutely true because sins are, by definition, committed against God. They're part of your relationship with God. They're a violation of that relationship with God. So Psalm 51 that Sarah read in our Old Testament reading, the confession of sin includes this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Or in Isaiah 43, God says, you've burdened me with your sin. You've wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And Daniel 9 says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against him. Right? So God made us for a relationship with himself, and we belong to him, and he gives himself to us in our sin, We've rejected all of this. We've rejected him. We've rejected his ways, his purpose for our life, everything. So sins are personal violations of our relationship with God. So God alone has the right to say whether he forgives our sins. And so here comes Jesus forgiving sins as if he were God, right? So uh, Dan Doriani has a commentary on this um, passage. He says that the scribes immediately recognized that Jesus was claiming deity, The reasoning goes this way. Only the person offended can forgive a wrong. If I offend John, it makes no sense to apologize to Mark. I must go to John, whom I offended. Therefore, it is senseless for Jesus to forgive a man he just met, if Jesus is merely a man. When he says, your sins are forgiven, he implies that the paralytic has sinned against him. Thus, Jesus claims to be God because only God is offended by every sin and only God can forgive all sin. <clears throat> right? So, by forgiving sins, Jesus is claiming to be God. The scribes uh, would be right about this being blasphemy uh, unless, of course, Jesus actually is God. Right? If he actually is God, then it's not blasphemy for him to say this. If the man Jesus <clears throat> actually is God, then when he says, your sins are forgiven... This is not blasphemy. When he forgives sins, what he's doing is revealing truly the character of God to us. And he assures us of the mercy and grace of God towards sinners, toward those who've rejected him and violated their relationship with him. So for Jesus to have the authority to forgive sins is very good news for us if you're interested in the forgiveness of your sins, if you're interested in a relationship with him. But the scribes, have jumped to a conclusion here against Jesus. They're prejudiced against him, right? Uh, because they don't believe that he actually is God. They assume that that's impossible. They don't even ask the question whether it's possible, right? What's, what's obvious is that Jesus is a human being. They can see that. And their basic assumption is, well, he cannot also be God. You can't be both those things. Maybe you know someone who's made that assumption about Jesus. When we make assumptions like that, you know, we're basically saying, I know what's possible. I know what's impossible. 
I know the fundamental nature of reality. I know that a human being cannot also be God. I know better than to believe crazy things like that. Uh, We should be open to questioning our assumptions. We should be open to examining our assumptions. The better things for the scribes to do would have been to ask Jesus the honest question. Wait, if you're saying something that only God can say, are you saying that you are God? How could we know that? That would be an honest question. That's the kind of question that people should ask Jesus honestly and actually listen to him for his answers. But the scribes aren't interested in conversation with Jesus. They're not interested in relationship with him. They, they aren't interested in learning about him from him. They just murmur in their hearts against him. Uh, being God, of course, he knows exactly what they're thinking. Says Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? I can see from your thoughts that you don't believe that I'm God. <laughs> right? I mean, that's funny. <clears throat> He's not just a good judge of character like many claim to be. He literally knows what people are thinking. He knows the scribes are prejudiced against him. In fact, uh, they accuse him of blaspheming, but they're the ones who are blaspheming. When God comes into the world and announces himself, they say, impossible, and call him a liar. They don't let him be who he is. That's blasphemy. They, They won't allow for this man to be God in the flesh, which means they won't allow God to be who he really is, because they know better. The thoughts of their hearts are evil. They're set against God. And yet, even so, Jesus goes on to engage them and offer them proof. Uh, He has no need to prove himself to anyone. But he wants what is best for people. And and what's best for people is that they believe him and that they trust him. And they come to know him. So he says in verse 5, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? So if you pay careful attention to the words Jesus uses here, you'll notice he doesn't say, you know, which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal? He says, which is easier to say? So in other words, he's saying, which is easier to claim, to claim to have the authority to forgive sins or to claim to be able to heal? It's, It's easy to say your sins are forgiven, Because God's forgiveness is an invisible matter of God's heart towards sinners. And who can say whether you've spoken truly or not? It's not externally verifiable. How, you know, how could you persuade someone that you had God's authority to forgive sins? Any charlatan could just say that your sins are forgiven, but you'd never really know whether it were true or not. But if you're trying to persuade someone that you have the power to heal, well, when you say, rise and walk, that's going to produce a verifiable result, right? If you say it, and the paralytic doesn't get up, then you're clearly a fraud and not to be believed. So if Jesus is claiming to be able to do what God alone can do, he can prove it by visibly doing what God alone can do. And he offers that test, and he submits himself to that test. He condescends to submit himself to this test, to offer proof to them for their good, in order to persuade them of the good news. So even though they're prejudiced against him, even though they've uh, they have unbelieving assumptions. Jesus looks to help them believe. He says it in verse 6. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. So we tend to think of the, the big glamorous thing is the healing, right? You remember this passage because it's, he heals a paralytic. Uh, 
And so we think that's the big deal. But Jesus does the healing to show the really big deal is that he has the authority to forgive sins. The healing is the sign that points to Jesus and says, this one is God, come in the flesh, come to forgive sins. That's what the healing says. The really tremendous thing has already happened earlier in this encounter when Jesus told the paralyzed man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's the really big deal. The whole point of the whole encounter, the point of the healing was for people, even for skeptics, to come to know that that moment when he spoke to the paralytic and forgave his sins, that moment was real. Because the divine authority of Jesus to forgive sins is real. When you're talking about God, you're talking about the most real reality that there is, and this Jesus really is him. And that means, if you're interested in knowing God, having a relationship with God, you can know what he's really like when you look at Jesus. He's not different from this. He's not different from Jesus. What we see about God in Jesus here is that God forgives sins. That's what we see. That's what we know. That's what's real. The proper response is to fear God and to glorify him. So when the crowd saw this, they were afraid and they glorified God who'd given such authority to men. Right? So it isn't that Jesus' power to heal evokes fear. It's that his authority to forgive sins evokes fear. Maybe that sounds strange to you because Jesus himself says, after all, that his forgiveness means you should take heart. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. <clears throat> Where does fear take, you know, uh, factor into that, taking heart? You should actually find courage. That's what take heart means. Find courage. Don't be afraid in some sense. Find courage, find comfort, find strength in knowing God's forgiveness in Christ. But listen to how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 130. These are familiar words for us. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So the Lord Jesus forgave the paralytic and made it possible for him actually literally to stand in his presence. And we stand with fear and trembling before the Lord who forgives our sins. And this fear, the fear of the Lord, means true comfort, true courage. Fear of the Lord means true courage. It means true, true strength in our relationship with him. So Jesus speaks with affection. He says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus speaks with tenderness and fondness and love because he is the God of love. And this means that you can believe that God speaks to you with affection and tenderness and fondness and love. Maybe your faith is small right now. And you're not exactly sure what to expect from Jesus when you come to him. Maybe you don't have a clue what you actually need from Jesus. You just know there's something wrong and Jesus can fix it. Maybe, like the paralytic, you think something like healing is your biggest need. It's biggest felt need. Felt needs seem important to us. Something like that, that's probably my biggest need. But then when you come to Jesus, you find actually forgiveness is truly your biggest need, whether you felt that way or not. What you really need is to know that he has the authority to forgive your sins. And as you grow in your relationship with him and you get to know him more, as you learn about him from him, these are the wonderful things you'll discover about him along the way. He forgives sins. That's how he reveals himself 
Over and over again, this is how he identifies himself, how he names himself, especially here when uh, the first time you see it is in Exodus 34. <clears throat> when it says that the Lord passed before Moses, he revealed himself to Moses and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He forgives sins. That's who he is. It's the first thing he says about himself. He himself says there's nothing more fundamental to his nature than this. Jesus reveals that God is not a cruel or capricious trickster that you can't depend on. He is faithfully forgiving. He's absolutely committed to forgive your sins. He forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. No caveats. All your sins with their eternal, infinite significance because they were done against an eternal, infinite, holy God. Jesus forgives sins, which is, by definition, something you don't deserve, right? You could never deserve his forgiveness, no matter what you do. And no matter what you do, it's his divine right to declare your sins forgiven because mercy and forgiveness belong to him, the scriptures say. You could never be good enough for his forgiveness. You could never be too bad for his forgiveness because his forgiveness is his and it doesn't depend on you. If he says you're forgiven, then you're forgiven. And he forgives you as a, a free gift of his grace, free to you, costly to him. Right? Forgiveness is always costly to the one who's doing the forgiveness, doing the forgiving, right? So to, <clears throat> to forgive someone is to suffer the pain that they cause you and to just bear it and suffer it in order to bless them because you love them. Jesus on the cross was the ultimate visible manifestation of God's forgiveness. Jesus suffered on the cross and he died for the forgiveness of your sins. He took the pain of this relationship <clears throat> so that you could take heart in knowing God's blessing and God's favor. And he did this even though the forgiveness of sins probably isn't the biggest felt need in your life. Maybe it never has been. <clears throat> it should be the need that you feel most, the need for forgiveness, but it probably isn't. And that's okay. Jesus forgives you. Even when you don't think you need it very much, when it's not on your mind, you come to him for something else. He wants you to know that he has the authority to forgive your sins. So take heart, rest assured in his tender affection, fear him, because he has made you to stand in the presence of God, get to know him and discover, discover the heights and depths of his forgiving love, glorify him, praise him, tell of his wondrous deeds. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we could meditate on your forgiveness forever and just keep growing in our appreciation of it and our love for you, uh, yet we could never match your love for us. Your love came first, and it's always bigger. Holy Spirit, help us to do just that. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ at every moment to live our whole lives in light of who he is and what he's done for us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world to reveal who you are truly and to give us this gift of a relationship with you that will never end. Glory be to you, triune God, world without end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.